Um, I want to spend some time on this question of how do you hear? So we're going to take about a 15-minute run before we get into Sardis this morning. I had a conversation this week that really triggered the reminder in, in me that you do not hear the way that I hear. And I say, that, I say it to, to describe this way, that God created me with a very specific personality, that he is not saving me from my personality and how he wired me and how he created me. He's sanctifying me. He's transforming me. Um, but how you process through life according to your personality is how God made you. And you're not broken. You're, and we have all of this variety in God's creation. We need to submit our personality to the Lord. So this is in psychology. You have nature and nurture. You have your hard wiring. This is your makeup and how God made you. And you have the nurture aspect of things. Of Here's your life experience. Here's, here's what you have gone through in your life that has caused you to, in your personality, uh, to hear things certain ways and to respond to those stimuluses in your life through however you're wired and through whatever your life experiences look like. So when I sit up here and I communicate to each one of you, every single one of you is listening to me through your filter. As you have interacted with our culture over the last year when it comes to COVID, every single one of you listen to news and information and other individuals according to your filters. Whether you think that this is a, you know, this is a heavy thing and it's an important thing and so many people are dying or on the other side of it, this is just nothing and it's conspiracy theory and everything in between. How you are processing the information is according to your filters. And those filters can be very bad and they can be very good. So as we're sitting in these letters to the churches, Jesus is specifically saying to every single one of us that is listening, if you have an ear, you have an ear, you hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, right? So my question to you is, how do you hear? Because again, this, uh, as I sit and communicate the Word of God, the Word of God to me and my personality and how God has wired me and the filter in which I approach God's Word, it's a very heavy thing for me. So I want to sit in all of His words. I want to sit in the good, the bad. I want to sit in the rebuke. I want to sit in the promises. I want, I want to sit in the heaviness of it. And this word heaviness, it's, it's tied to the word glory. God's word is glorious. It's heavy. But what does Jesus tell us about the burdens that he places upon us? Last week to Thyatira, he says, you know, those of you who are not allowing and abiding in the doctrine of Jezebel, I'm not placing any burden upon you. Because he tells us to yoke ourselves to him, that his burden is easy, it's light. In Daniel, we have this, this vision that's given to Daniel about the, the stone that was cut out with, without man's hands and this stone that if you fall upon it, and it's in reference to Jesus, that you will be broken. That we need to have this position of brokenness before God, that recognition, I am broken through sin and only he is my healer. 
He desires for us to come to him brokenhearted because he is our healer. He is our savior. He is the one who has given us all these incredible promises. But that stone, if you fall on him, you will be broken. And you need to be broken out of your flesh so that he can restore and redeem and renew and revive and give to us his eternal life. But those who do not fall upon him, what is the imagery in regards to that stone and the heaviness of that stone? This stone will fall on you and you will be ground to powder. Is that heavy? It's heavy. As we sit in these words of Jesus to each one of these churches... We have him declaring himself. Here's who I am. Here's here's a a piece of my personality and his attributes. And it's, it's awesome. And we can really sit in that deeply and allow the heaviness of him declaring himself to just sink into who we are in our relationship with him. And then he gives these words of, of uh, praise to these different congregations. Like, here's, here's where you're doing well. And then the, real, the discomfort of, of a lot of God's word is the heaviness of, here's my problem with you. And none of us want to hear the problem. We want to sit in the praise. We want to sit in the promises. But we have to sit in all of these subject matters equally. If I communicate to you only the problems that God has with you, I'm misrepresenting who God is. If I'm only communicating to you his promises and I don't communicate the the command that we have to repent and to to pay attention and listen, I'd be miscommunicating. And what I am attempting to communicate, we're going to turn to Philippians really quick. Philippians chapter 3. Gentiles eat pork chops. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Every time I turn there, you're welcome. That's how I remember. Um, This is uh, chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 8. Paul making this declaration that I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. So I'm coming here just as a foundation this morning of to remind myself and to remind you of why we're here this morning. I, the only reason I am here is because I want to know Jesus and I want to make Jesus known to you. That's the only reason I'm here. We are told that it is the knowledge of God as our Father, the knowledge of Jesus Christ as our Lord. That knowledge is eternal life. We are here to know him, to understand him, to follow him. When we sit and we read the accounts of the Gospels, and you listen to Jesus go from synagogue to synagogue and community to community, in the workplace, in the home, in the open air, and all the, there's all these multitudes follow him, sit in the question now, how did the people hear him? They're hearing the same words. You hear the same words that I communicate, and the burden is on me as I teach the Word of God. The burden is on me to clearly communicate the heart of God. And if I don't do that, the responsibility is on me. Your responsibility, as we're in this environment on a Sunday, as you are listening, 
The burden is on you to listen to what the Spirit of God is saying to you, not what I'm saying to you. Because as I communicate to a room, every single one of you has a different filter. You have different life experiences. You have different circumstances that you're processing through right now. And I have to lay out the word of God there in all of its heaviness, in all of its glory, and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you what he is speaking to you, which can be very difficult when there's a lot of heavy things that are being communicated from Jesus to these churches that may not apply to you in your relationship with him. If you're not holding on to the doctrine of Baal or of Balaam, and you're holding on to the doctrine, the teaching of Jesus Christ, that word of warning to Pergamos is not for you. It was for somebody else. If you're not allowing a Jezebel-type woman to seduce you and lead you away from Jesus, Jesus is really clear that I'm not placing a burden on you. That warning was for somebody else. Yet, as Jesus is communicating to the churches, he's telling all of us, listen. And even if these words aren't specifically for you, they may be for the person next to you. They may be for the person that you're going to have a conversation with tomorrow or a year from now. So as we sit in these words, my responsibility is to communicate to you the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus our Lord. And as you listen, the responsibility on you is to hear the knowledge of the Ex, you know, the excellence of the knowledge is Jesus Christ, our Lord. I love it. But again, this is, this is why we gather. Put our logo up there. I wanted to, I wanted to just spend a minute as we're sitting here in Philippians. Um, I, there's, a, there's a story behind our logo that I'm not going to totally get into, but it has a lot of importance and revelation to me. But when you look at this, it looks like a big X, Right? So one, it's a cross. So this is the type of cross that Jesus died on, where you have the vertical beam and the horizontal beam. We're told that he carried that horizontal beam after his trial to Golgotha as he is pierced upon that tree. In history, a lot of crosses that people were crucified on was an X. So one, it's, it's a cross. It's called St. Andrew's Cross. But the, the emphasis upon the imagery that we see is the triangles. And it's that foundational tr triangle where in Philippians, Paul says that, uh, he says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That as we enter in here this morning, as I teach, as we worship, as you listen, as you serve, as you fellowship, as you walk with Jesus in his presence in your life right now, that all attention is on him. All of our attention is upward, always. Jesus, who are you? Show me the Father. Give to me the gifts of your spirit so that I can know you, so that I can serve you, so that I can glorify you, so that all the weight is upon you. We are not here to glorify a name, a person, an idea, a doctrine, other than what he has conveyed to us through his revealed word. Upward, always. And then onward, that there's a, there's a, there's a responsibility in this to respond. 
So our, our, how we have the, the service ordered here, we begin, we enter into God's presence with praise, with worship. And as we sing, there's, there's sometimes where I'm just listening. There's sometimes where I'm pouring out my heart. There's sometimes where it's hands lifted. There's other times where, you know, I just, I just need my private little quiet box away from everybody because I need to get settled and grounded. There's this, this entering into God's presence with, with a heart of worship, of praise, of gratitude. And that prepares us to listen. Not to just, not to listen to me. Again, as I communicate, we were talking about this this morning. I, sometimes I say something and the Holy Spirit starts speaking to you, and you're listening to that one word, you start flipping to other places in your Bible, uh, you start writing your other notes, and then 10 minutes later, you start re-engaging with what I'm saying, because God's speaking to you somewhere else as you're in the midst of this room. You're not here to listen to me, you're here to listen to what the Holy Spirit has to communicate to you as we process through his word together. I'm just here to help highlight, to teach, as Tony was saying, you know, I'm, I'm giving you little smells, little aromas where you now need to go back and sit with the Lord and, and really sit in that fragrance and sit in that meal and what his word is communicating to you. So there's this responsibility as we are at, at our, all of our attention is upward on, and on him. Lord, now what are you saying to me? I want to press into my relationship with you. I understand that you have freed me from everything that anchors me down, from, from all of my past. I'm not focused on those things. I'm learning from those things, but I'm pressing on into that upward call that you have called me to yourself, to where you are in heaven, on your throne for all eternity, and it's majestic. But earlier on in the same passage, Paul says, I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Jesus has seized you for a reason. And I love this, the word rapture, when we're, we're waiting for Jesus to come back and rapture us. That word is to seize, to snatch away. He, in, in his sovereignty from eternity, has chosen to take hold of you. And for me, those words bring so much comfort. Nobody else has a hold on me. My dad's been bringing up this verse in, in John, is it 17? That Satan has no claim on Jesus. 14, I always say 17. This is John 14 where Jesus says that Satan has no claim on him. Think of that. The wicked one has no claim on you. He has no hold on you if Jesus is your Lord. He has a hold on you. He has seized you. He has snatched you. And it's for a reason. And that's what Paul says. I'm pressing into life. I'm pressing into him. That my acts of service, my acts of worship, what I'm doing with my life is only to fulfill that thing that he has snatched me for, seized me for, taken hold of me for. And ultimately, it's so that I will know him. That I'll be exposed to him. That I'll be transformed by him. That I'll be pressed into his wonderful image, which I want nothing more. However, I have filters in my life, and one of those filters 
that I let the word of God process through says, not so, Lord. Do you have that filter? Are you being honest with yourself? Have you ever read the word of God and you say, no. And here's an example, Saul, King Saul. So when God gives Samuel some instructions to give to Saul, and Saul hears the very word of God, Saul has a filter in his life that's called the fear of man. And Saul's fear of man allows him to twist the command of God for him to do it in a way that he chooses and that he's comfortable to obey. And in that imagery that we have of Saul's life, because of his disobedience, because of his filter, because he feared man, he chose to modify God's commands and to fulfill it in a way in which he was comfortable. The judgment in his life was for the kingdom to be snatched away from him and given to another. Is that heavy? It's heavy to me. Because God, it's please remove out of me the not-so-Lord filter. And to to have this open heart of God, help me to hear. And in this, I want to make sure that I'm over-communicating that we as human beings need to process through life in a way, and again, this is, this is challenging to different respects for all of us, in a way where the things that other people say to us and how they're communicating the word of God, that we don't allow those things to be burdensome and to push us down, and you're not good enough, and you're not worthy, and you're not doing what you're supposed to do, and you have all these walls, and you're broken, and you're beyond being fixed, and a lot hear those kind of condemnations. And as Jesus is communicating to each one of these congregations, the exhortation is, I need you to hear me. I need you to be self-aware in a way that you know how you're listening. No, this isn't for me. This is for somebody else. And if that's what the Holy Spirit is speaking, awesome. But if you have this conviction and you know that you're off somewhere and your filter is blocking his word from really taking root in your heart, there's, the consequences come. And in each one of these letters, in his words, whether it's in the Gospels, whether it's in the rest of the word of God or in these specific words, the exhortation that I'm hearing from Jesus is, Blake, listen to me. And some of this may just be for reminder. Some of it may be for revelation of what's going on in in culture. Some of it may be, Blake, you, son, need to listen to these words. You say, Father, I'm listening. And if I have a wall, if I have a filter, if I have a block that is, Yeah, I agree with what you're saying, but I'm not going to walk it out. Lord, remove those stumbling blocks that I'm placing in my own life. Because I don't want to stumble in my relationship with you. I want to hold on to these promises of overcoming. So, I told you we were going to have a longer introduction before we hit into chapter 3 of Revelation. So, this letter to Sardis. 
And one, it initiated from a conversation that I had this week, which again, was, it was good for me to hear as a reminder of how each one of you as individuals is going to hear things differently. But two, in my own mind, in my own heart, um, these letters get pretty wearisome. If, I, if I'm just honest, it's, it's really hard to hear constant bad news about what's going on in the body of Christ. And as we're sitting in Jesus' words to the body of Christ, there's a lot of good, and there's a lot of silliness. There's a lot of bad. In the prior letters to the different churches, it seems as though that there's a few bad in the midst of the good going on as we sit in the first four letters. Now when we turn our attention to Sardis, it seems as though in this congregation, in this community, that there's a few good in the midst of the bad. There's a few that have no other burden from the Lord in regards to their relationship. Keep processing, keep pressing on. They're doing good, but those, those few who are defined as good according to Christ's righteousness seem to be the minority in this church. And listen to these words. To the angel of the church of Sardis, in Sardis, write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. And, well, sorry, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels." He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So back to Jesus' self-revelation. These things says he. Again, the, the, the power, the authority behind the words that are being spoken is these are being spoken by the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The seven spirits of God were brought up earlier in the introduction that this is sourced from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And when we hit chapter 5, John has this vision of a lamb who is Jesus as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes defined as which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So as Jesus is identifying himself to this congregation, I am the one who has the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Spirit, the triune God. I am God. The seven spirits being this, the idea of seven is this number of completion, this number of perfection. This, it's again, the symbol of the Holy Spirit. He is the one. He is the 
person of the Godhead from Genesis to Revelation that has always been out there into the world seeking and searching out for those individuals whose hearts are open to him. And some of those hearts he pierces through revelation, through prophecy, through dreams, through visions. Some of those hearts he pierces through the proclamation of the gospel. Each one of you has your story and your life experience for how the Holy Spirit has pursued you, how he has revealed himself to you, how he has spoken to you, how he has let you know that he sees everything about you. And he's not mad at you. He's madly in love with you. And he's seeking to form Jesus within you. The activity of the Holy Spirit as the paraclete, as the helper, he is there to teach us in regards to who Jesus Christ is and to reveal Jesus to us. He is not a power, he is a person. He has the mind of God, he has a will, and he gives gifts to men for what purpose? To see Jesus formed in each one of us is why he gives us gifts. So the one who has the Holy Spirit of God, and at the same time, the one who has the messengers to each one of these congregations. Hey, Sardis, I know your works. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. Is that heavy? Yeah, it's really heavy. Because in my, in my mind, I, I sit in a, a lot of how people define themselves as believers. I had another conversation this week with another individual where believer, this individual, they would not say the name of Jesus. They'd say the name of their church. They wouldn't say the name of Jesus. And I just find that really weird. And I'm not judging this individual but we sit in a culture 2,000 years down the road from uh, the events that we are reading about, and we watch all these different doctrines and names that have been formed. You know, I love Martin Luther as a brother, but when it comes to a Lutheran church, well, why take the name of a man? When it comes to the Methodist church, why take the name of the Wesley brothers? I, like, I get their, their calling and their anointing, and we have so many things to learn from these individuals, but, you know, why take the name of, of Calvin if you, if you agree to his understanding and perspective on the Word of God? I just, I don't get it. I don't take the name Calvary Chapel. It's just, it's a name that we've inherited, like, culturally, and it's, uh, I understand Calvary, it's, it's a declaration of the place that, uh, where Christ was crucified on Mount Calvary, also known as Gol Golgotha. I understand chapel is, you know, it's a place to be a sanctuary and devoted to the Lord. Even in Calvary chapels, when Chuck Smith took, he took over a church that was already called Calvary Chapel. He didn't name it Calvary Chapel. And then at the same time, like, I'm not a Smithite, you know, I, it's, uh, I fellowship with men and women who are in agreement with what the Word of God says. I, I, I want to be a Jesus person. That's it. So when we, when we tack on all these other names, I, I, I don't get it because that's not my filter. That's not my background. That's not how I stepped into a relationship with the Lord. When he seized me, He's, he's placed me into congregations that have always been all about Jesus. 
And for that, I express humble gratitude. And again, listen to this. This is a direct contrast to the nature and character of God. You say you're alive. I say you're dead is what Jesus says. But what was the declaration that Jesus gave to himself twice already? He who is dead and is alive. Again, so even in this rebuke that he has for this congregation, they're holding on to names that may have something to do with Jesus, but that, that there's no salvation there. There's no life there. There's no freedom. There's no liberty. There's no good news. And what's weird, it's a, you know, is Jesus talking about losing, that they can lose their salvation or that they have lost their salvation? You have a relationship with me and you say that you're alive, but you're dead? Or are they just in a spiritual coma? Because he goes on to describe it a little bit, to be watchful, strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. And then he talks about this promise at the end, I will not blot out your name from the book of life. So it begs the question, is it possible to be blotted out? Is it possible for your name to be pinned down into this book of life and for him to sit there with an eraser and, oh, you messed up today, so your name's off. Oh, now you believe in me, your name's back. Oh, you shouldn't have said that, now you're out. I mean, that's not what our God does. My pastor in Salt Lake, he phrased eternal security this way, and I've always sat in agreement with, me, with him. When it comes to me, I cannot lose my salvation. My name shall never be blotted out of the book of life because I know in whom I believe. I know Jesus. I know who I am apart from him. I know who I am in him. I know what it is that he has done for me. I know the darkness he has saved me from. I know the sin he has saved me from. I know his promises. I shall see the face of my God. The rest of you, I don't have a clue. Straight up, you could be lying through your teeth. I don't know. I give, you, I give each one of you the benefit of the doubt that you love Jesus, the true Jesus, just as I do. And I know a lot of you, and I sit in absolute agreement with that, where your salvation is not in question for me as I judge you. And who cares about my judgment? But I'm secure. I've been seized. I've been chosen. I'm elected. I will, I will see the face of my God for all eternity. I shall be like him, and this is what he has promised me. But at the same time, like I sit in the heaviness of all of the warnings, because there, there is a little question mark that's, that's put out there of, Lord, could I, could... On the night, on the Passover meal, Jesus, uh, Jesus says one of the disciples is going to betray him. What do each one of the disciples do? Is it me? And that's how I, that's how, this is my filter of I, how I sit in the word of God. As I sit and listen to Jesus' problems with each one of these churches, I look at them and all, on, Lord, here I am, naked and exposed before you. Is this, is this me? Do I have a name that I'm alive, but I'm really dead? Is this me, Lord? And again, I ask that in a way where I 
I have heard God enough in my life. I know when he's speaking to me. I know when he's saying, Blake, let's, let's talk about this. I, I, I recognize his voice. I know the voice of my shepherd very well. So I don't have to sit in this and go digging for um, where I'm dead and where I'm not alive and go and wallow in that information. If he's convicting you that, hey, you know what? You are holding on to a name that is not the name of Jesus for your security, for your salvation, for your light, for your life. You're holding on to a doctrine. You're holding on to a church name. You're holding on through man's tradition. The Holy Spirit is the one that speaks whether that's true or not. And if it's not true, guess what? You're one of the few names, even in America, that have not allowed the culture to stain the garments that he has given to you. But for those who are, if, if you are in that position where you've been holding on to something else, different doctrines, different sins, different walls, different filters that ought not to be there in your life, what is his encouragement to you? Watch. What does it mean to be watchful? What does it mean to watch for Jesus every single day? For Sardis, Sardis has a reputation that as a, as a city, it is unconquerable strategically. Yet, in, in how it's positioned, it was conquered two times in history, once by Cyrus, another one by one of the Antiochuses of Daniel, because the guards were not watching. The opposing army scaled the cliffs that should not have been scalable and entered into Sardis and conquered Sardis because the guards were not watching. So this, this whole idea of being watchful has a very direct implication to this community and I want you to turn to Luke 12 really quick because Jesus brings up this idea of being watchful he brings up the idea of um, the thief as he comes in judgment he also brings up this idea of division Another area of heaviness in his word. So in Luke 12, 35, again, remember who's teaching. Jesus teaching to the multitudes. And here these multitudes are, each one is listening to him through their filters. Let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. This idea of zeal. And you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes, he comes and knocks, that they may open to him immediately. So again, this cultural imagery, weddings, they last late into the night. Servants are back home waiting for the master to arrive because when the master arrives, there's all these duties that need to be taken care of. The being ready, not knowing at what hour the master is going to come back home and that you're going to need to serve him 
being ready, being watchful. And again, this comes to how do we apply this in our lives? Being prayerful, being in the word, being self-aware. Lord, are you speaking to me? What is it in this circumstance and situation today that you're speaking to me, you're transforming me, you're directing me to do? This, this idea of watchfulness. Verse 37 says, Blessed are those servants whom the master, when he comes, will find watching. Assuredly, I say to you, listen to, again, the heart of Jesus as the master. He is the master, will gird himself and have them sit down to eat and will come and serve them. What? We can just gloss through that because we don't sit in this culture. But for the culture that Jesus is sitting in, for a master to gird himself as a slave, for your master to gird himself as a slave and to serve you, it ought to astonish you. What? And look what he did on the cross. As our God, our creator, clothed himself in sacrifice to die for our sins. And if he should come in the second watch and come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. Again, this is what he's encouraging for all of us to be watchful. But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So whether that's the Son of Man coming in judgment, individually or congregationally, whether that's him coming at the rapture, whether that's him coming as he does in ultimate fulfillment in Revelation 19, you can sit in that. Jump down to verse 49. Again, remember who's speaking. I came to send fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. The reason he came to be sacrificed on our behalf. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? Wait a minute, I thought earlier in Luke when the, when the heavens are open and all the angels say what? Glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace, goodwill toward men. Jesus here saying, I did not come to give peace on earth. What's he saying? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five and one house will be divided. Three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father. Another against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Turn back to Revelation. Bring up... Jesus is teaching there in regards to watchfulness, in regards to the, if you don't watch, he shall come upon them as a thief, just this common visual that he's given. And then really, again, in this community in Sardis, it's known, it's known for its easy money and its loose living kind of attitude. And again, we can sit in the American culture in this very easily. 
But there's this whole idea when Jesus steps into our life, when he seizes us, often there, not often, there is, there's a division from world, from family members, from culture. Division can well up really easily within relationships based upon who Jesus Christ is. And the, um, the desire to be free from contention can lead to this position of deadness that Sardis is in. Because it seems as though in the culture in which they are abiding in, um, that they're free from persecution, that they're, they're doing everything that the culture is doing, and that's allowing them and brought to them to this point of being in a spiritual coma, so to say, where they are, what even remains is on the verge of dying there. But being watchful, Finding our strength in God, again, none of these things we well up within ourselves. The exhortation there in verse 3 is, is uh, I think, the most important thing that he's communicating to this church is to remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. And gets back to where I began this morning. How did you receive Jesus to begin with? Was it because mom and dad taught you? Was it because of the name of some ministry or some organization or some individual? Was it because you knew and understood and realized that you just got confronted by the creator of the heavens and the earth? And he revealed himself to you and he revealed yourself to you apart from him. That's how he nailed me. I have nowhere else to hide from you, Lord. And I found myself in this position of, I don't want to hide from you. I remember how I received you. I remember what you've saved me from. I remember how I heard the good news. I remember hearing people communicate to me what is true. I remember them communicating your love, your sacrifice your power, your person. I remember these things. I remember, Lord, that you were anointed and set, sent to proclaim the kingdom of God to me. You came to me and you preached incredibly good news that I don't deserve. You communicated grace to me. You communicated peace. You communicated your kindness and your love, your provision. You've demonstrated these things over and over again in my life. I remember how I received you, Lord. I remember how I've heard you. I've heard you through people teaching me your word. I've heard through moments of prayer. I've heard you speak to me, Lord, when I just thought it was my imagination. And later on in the day or two months down the road, it was like, wait a minute, that was you. I've heard you. I've heard you call me. I've heard you call me, that upward call of God to yourself. I've heard your voice of protection. I've heard your voice of comfort and assurance. I remember how you've spoken 
the gospel to me. I've heard. I'm holding fast. Lord, I'm turning away from, again, everything else to turn to you. And this encouragement, it's not everybody. There's a few names, even in this community, that they haven't defiled their garments. And this idea of having a defiled garment, um, we even have the same tradition in our culture. A lot of people, you know, get dressed up to go to church. Go take a shower, go get a haircut, go put on a suit, and then you can come to church. You've heard that attitude, right? It's the same thing in this culture. If you had soiled garments, you weren't allowed into the presence of the idols and, and their religious going on. So the imagery, again, is we are not allowed into the presence of God in our filth, in our sin. We have been granted through faith in Jesus Christ his righteousness, and we are told that his righteousness is a garment. If you haven't defiled his name you haven't defiled your name you're holding on to his name you are clean and you are clothed in my righteousness he says and this garment is without spot and it is clean you shall be in the future not only today clothed in his righteousness you're going to walk with him in white. Think of a good jump back to Genesis 5. And Enoch walked with God and he was not. Why? Because God seized him and took him. You're going to walk with him in his purity and his righteousness all for all eternity. For they are worthy. How, does, how are we worthy? Nobody is worthy outside of Jesus. He is the one who makes us worthy. How do we overcome? We overcome through faith in him. The promise of being clothed with these white garments. This promise that as you are secure in him, you know in whom you believe. Not in anyone else or anything else. Your name is written in this role of the citizenship of heaven in the book of life. And this promise, again, it's getting back to the importance of a name. I will confess his name before my father. You confess Jesus' name, he confesses your name. Heavenly Father, we love you tremendously, Lord. We really do. And for me, as your child, I want to continue to hear you every day. For those who have been listening this morning, Lord, I pray that it's not just my voice that they've heard, but I pray that they have heard your spirit speak to them this morning. Your truth, your words, that you have revealed yourself to each soul that is listening that you have proclaimed your attributes and manifested yourself to them, Lord. That they've heard your words of comfort and grace and peace and encouragement as they've reached out and taken you to themselves in faith and hope in confidence and trust. I pray, Lord, for each that has already responded to you with that heart of faith, with that heart of gratitude, that heart of repentance, Lord, that they will be unburdened today, that their filters would be unclogged, 
that you would enable them to hear your still, small voice speak to them in this moment, through the worship, through fellowship later, as they sit in your word, as they sit with other teachers, that they'd hear you, Lord, and know you intimately. For the soul, Lord, who has not bent the soul that stands before you in pain, in rebellion, in lack of understanding, sits with Pilate's heart of just what is truth? Lord, that this would be the day where your spirit breaks through that wall that they see you in truth, Lord, that they see who you are as God, that they see your sacrifice as, as payment for all of those things that they know are wrong and broken in their life. That they would hear that good news. That they would hear, Lord, your words of freedom that you're proclaiming to them right now that this would be a day where they are unshackled from how others define them, how they define themselves. Lord, that they be free from the prison of darkness and free from the prison of death, free from the prison of sin, free from, free from depression and doubt and lust, all those things that just weigh us down, Lord. And that the only burden that we would have in our life is your easy yoke upon us as we walk with you hand in hand in trust and in love. We turn, Lord. We repent. We celebrate you. We offer our minds and our hearts to you and ask that you speak, Lord. Speak your words, speak your truth, speak what's real. Free us from our insanity. And as you have made us, for the reason that you have taken hold of us, the instructions that you give to us, Lord, we press into you and we press on for your namesake. It's in Jesus' name we pray.